years and years ago, the U.S. ski team came to CrossFit and CrossFit started, did a little assessment. It was like, wow, you guys, as a whole, you guys really suck at pull-ups. And they're like, yeah, it has nothing to do with our sport. Like we're legs and power and, um, you know, um, like, um, pull-ups would do nothing. And they're like, well, let's just, let's just start working on pull-ups, you know, identify your weakness and kind of make it better. And lo and behold, when they started doing that, their performance got better. We are here because we know the outcomes in our lives are within our control. That taking absolute ownership of how we eat, sleep, train, think, and connect with each other is how we'll optimize our health and happiness. That chasing excellence is how we grab hold of what is possible. Our mission is to live on the run, always chasing, never stop. Hello and welcome back to Chasing Excellence. How are you, Ben? I'm good. Thanks, Patrick. Today we're going to dive into something we've de- we've definitely talked around and we've probably answered uh, a handful of two-minute drill questions kind of related to this. But the subject I want to dive into today with you is how you do or how you would at least uh, advise others, others and think about um, using CrossFit to train for another sport or maybe not even specifically another sport, but another type of sport. And so I think there's a few categories that I'd love to dive into with you today as it relates to this idea of like, using what you do in the gym, you know, in your gym specifically to do, um, to pursue other, uh, athletic endeavors outside the gym. And so I think there are a couple categories we can hit on. One is kind of maybe that lifestyle athlete, right? And I think that you and I probably fall into that, right? We're skiing, basketball on the weekends, anything outside the gym that is kind of athletic and active, um, and using CrossFit to train for that. The other would be maybe like a, let's just call it like a college athlete, right? Somebody who's pursuing sport at a pretty high level, uh, maybe not a professional level, but a high level, um, and how you would use CrossFit to get them ready for that. And then the third is maybe the the endurance athlete, and maybe that's either, and, and maybe you can help us figure out what exactly, like where endurance actually is, but is that a, um, uh, an Ironman, is that a marathon, is that a um, um, yeah. certainly like a 100 mile or something like that. Um, and again, just kind of looking at these three categories of athletes and trying to figure out what you would do with them if they walked into the gym and said, okay, here's, here's why I'm here, here's kind of what I want to do with this. How do you, how do you use constantly varied functional movements at high intensity to make sure that they're actually pursuing that in an intelligent way? And so let's maybe start with the one that we've probably hit on a lot, which is that, that lifestyle athlete. How, how do you, or how would you, you know, if somebody came up to you and said, hey, you know, Ben, every weekend I go back country skiing um, and I want to use CrossFit, I want to use, you know, this gym here to help me get better at that in whatever way they would define better. Where do you begin? What is that? What is that kind of programming? What does that program look like? Yeah, so to, to help us get the conversation started, it helps to understand what CrossFit is and why it exists and um, what, the, what the end goal of it is. Mm-hmm. What we're really talking about here is strength and conditioning in the, in the, in the sports-specific world. So um, what we found, and strangely enough, is that this is, seems like really commonplace now, but rewind to the early 80s. And there was no strength and conditioning for professional athletes. Mm. They played their sport and they practiced their sport. And that was the end. Yeah. And it was only in like the, the mid eighties and certainly in the nineties when this kind of, um, this wave of physical uh, preparedness came about and really like the size and scope of professional athletes really shifted and the, the abilities of professional athletes shifted. And it's a lot to do with, what we are doing and what we are um, trying to um, accomplish with our strength, quote unquote, strength and conditioning programs. Mm-hmm. What most strength and conditioning programs have done is they've done what the Globo gyms have done, which is they beg, beg borrowed, and stealed um, from the bodybuilding world. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then from there, some of the more advanced have um, kind of morphed out of the, the strength world and they're doing more of like squats and deads. Um, and then the more advanced at that are pulling into the track and field world and working on speed and speed mechanics. And then the next is pulling into like the Olympic lifting world and really working on explosiveness. And this is kind of regardless of the pursuits that you kind of bucketed these things into, whether it's endurance style or call it like, um, high level team sports. If we were to kind of use CrossFit, which has, um, 
at least at, at a minimum, shifted the paradigm in the way that we could train athletes for these sports. At minimum, it's thrown a wrench into it, right? Mm. Which is kind of like, huh, maybe there is a different way of doing this. And what all these other um, pursuits have done is kind of worked at the edges of what we do, everyone does in the global gym as well, which is like, let's make sure we are getting strong. And when you're getting strong, there's no um, cardiovascular response, there's no stamina response. And then when we are working on our cardiovascular, there's no strength response. But what happens is when you get into the real world or into the athletic environment, in most cases, you need to be able to combine those things. Mm -hmm. You need to be able to be strong while fatigued. You need to have endurance while um, and still be able to move loads. So think of like most team sports, this is kind of like rings true, whether it's um, kind of the higher power output of football, whether it's something in the middle like wrestling or hockey or something the other end like soccer or lacrosse. All of those require what we are trying to accomplish in the GPP, general physical preparedness world of CrossFit. So that's why CrossFit has um, come to play. What we've seen is the number one most lacking characteristic of athletes across all fields is general physical preparedness, mm. is basically fitness. There are elite and specialist and world-class, amazing, talented athletes that still don't have the base of the athletic pyramid. They still don't have the foundational general physical preparedness. They still don't have that fitness, which is work capacity. It is literally the bucket, not literally, it is figuratively the bucket. I love when people say literally, it's like, I literally, I literally pooped my pants. Like what, you, you're pooping your pants right now? No, 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 like I literally pooped my pants. Like I just fell into that trap. <laughs> um, but figuratively speaking, it is the proverbial bucket, right? And you are trying, the bigger your bucket is, the more skills and drills and talents and techniques and ability you can pour into that. The, big, the bucket is determined by your work capacity, how much work you can get done before you're fatigued. So that's what we're trying to do with what our CrossFit programming. So I mean, that's a long um, precursor, a long uh, disclaimer before we got into the specifics of these different um, um, classifications. Yep. So let's take that first one that you just listed, which is that the, the, the weekend warrior, yeah. the, the, the soccer moms and dads that are trying to be active and fit and be able to um, coach soccer during the week and um, be able to ski from the first chair to the last chair on the weekends and um, their buddies invite them for a 15-mile um, a hike um, overnight camping trip and they're like, yep, I'm ready to go. They don't need to train for it. They can jump in the 5K. They're kind of like fit to do anything. Um, these type of athletes should do CrossFit the way most people are doing it, mm -hmm. which is just basically straight up CrossFit. What you're going to do is do CrossFit four or five or six times a week, and you're not gonna do it much different than what everyone's kind of just like picturing as CrossFit. This is what CrossFit was really created for. The other one I would throw into this is um, um, like physically demanding um, professions. Mm -hmm. So firefighters, first responders, um, landscapers, um, you know, um, lifeguards, like this is those type of people that CrossFit is, you know, first, um, like elite special forces just do CrossFit the way it's set up constantly varied functional movements for relative high intensity. It's going to, you don't need to geek out about any sports specific stuff. You're not besides the people that are like the elite special forces people, but this is what it was created for the moms and dads and those people are not making their money by performing. What you want to do is just increase this capacity. And that's what CrossFit does so well. It works on your weaknesses, it exposes you to new things. It's broad, general, and inclusive. You don't need to kind of get geeked out about the specifics of what you're doing. Instead, just one day it might be the four minute grace. The next day it might be the 40 minute Murph. Some days it might be the body weight. Some days it might be the cardio. Some days it might be the weightlifting. Most days it's the combination of all three of those things. That's all we're looking to do is you don't need to shake it up that much. Now, from there, everything does become individualized. So you have to figure out what works best for you. 
And is that a three on one off protocol? Train three days, take a day off? Or is it kind of what most people are falling into now, which is like three days on, one day off, maybe two days on, one day off? I'll say that I am neither of those things. I go six days on, one day active recovery, swim, light jog, yoga, something like that. Um, and I've done that for three, four, five years. I just don't go balls to the walls when I'm in the gym. I just kind of like always kind of like work out hard enough that I feel like I'm making changes, but um, you don't need to kind of go gas pedal and then lie in a puddle of your own fluids, um, be gasping for air and questioning your life. That's not what you need to do to kind of get to where you want to go. So it's, it's a long uh, roundabout way to say that um, these lifestyle athletes, these weekend warriors should just basically be doing CrossFit as it was originally prescribed because that's what it was created for. Mm-hmm. CrossFit actually was started for um, just kind of this broad general inclusive fitness before it was even a sport, before it was uh, used a training program for elite athletes. Um, the first populations that latched onto it were the special forces. It was the Navy SEALs. It was the SWAT teams. It was the Green Berets. Um, it was the, the, the firefighters, um, and like by firefighters, it's like the competitive, like elite firefighters that actually compete in those competitions. So, um, it's a great program for those people and just do it straight up. Yeah. Where, where is there the, um, the balance or the line between like uh, an individual who is, is still in this category, but maybe, maybe does it three or four times a week, whatever that thing might be. Maybe it's three on three basketball, you know, two or three nights yeah, a week with sure. his friends. Where do you, and yeah. maybe a better question is like, for you on the weekends that I know you go skiing for a whole weekend, do you, how do you like balance your in-gym training with what you know life is gonna bring you in the next couple of days? Do you adjust that yep. six days a week of the gym and say, okay, I'm gonna be skiing for Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, so I'm not gonna go to the gym on Friday? Like what, just, I guess the question is like, where, how do you get that balance? Assume, you know, for those folks who are going relatively heavy, whatever that means, whatever that frequency is, in whatever that other pursuit is. Like how do, what's the best way to, to still get the, the intended um, benefits of being in the gym of CrossFit without, I guess, maybe doing too much, um, to, to, um, um, not hurt, but like hurt, hurt their performance or their enjoyment of, of the other stuff. I I think that last piece that you just said, that is the measuring stick that you have to kind of gauge on your own without hurting your performance and how much the performance matter to you, Mm -hmm. um, is the kind of the, the litmus test for that. So using myself as an example, when we go skiing, if I'm going to be um, skiing for four, five, six hours with my eight and six-year-old, I'll get up and train in the morning beforehand. My wife and I both do that. We let the kids have their slow morning, you know, whether it's coloring books or if we're feeling gracious, it's iPads, and we might do our um, 20-minute EMOM, you know, followed by a little bit of something else, and then we get ready to go skiing and do that. Yep. If I'm in Jackson Hole and it's a powder day and I'm with my hard charging skiing buddies, um, I am not doing that beforehand. To me, I wanna be able to perform on the slopes. I don't wanna be fatigued beforehand. That is my event. It would make no sense for me to, same thing if I was like, if you're, um, if I'm about to go and like do a 5K, I'm not gonna do CrossFit before the 5K because the performance to me matters in that. Mm -hmm. Same thing for, if you're men's league hockey and you play that three times a week or you're a high school basketball coach and you jump in the scrimmages or whatever it might be, you have to gauge kind of what the intensity and the volume level of those other pursuits are and how much they matter to you and the fatigue level you have coming out of those events. And then from there, you can either back off completely or lower the volume and intensity of the CrossFit training. So to give another example, let's say you play men's league hockey on, um, on uh, like uh, Tuesdays and Thursday nights. On those days, per- perhaps you could either, if you feel like, because this is how I am, I can't start my day without doing something active. Yeah. I just don't, it doesn't work for me. My brain doesn't go. I don't feel um, sharp. I don't feel um, um, human. Um, what I'll do there is I'll just do something very, um, slow, but I'll move. And it might be something like, um, you know, very slow bike, very slow skier, very slow run, just to warm up into some like very easy kind of like lack of better term, body weights, uh, um, like body stuff, some strict pull-ups, 
dumbbell bench, you know, goblet squat or something. Um, and that's what I might do if I was that type of athlete because you, you, you feel primed, now you're ready for the work day. And when the night comes, you're not smoked and fatigued because you did, you know, double Fran in the morning. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's really gauging the intensity level, volume, and in psychological importance to you of the extracurricular, of what you are actually um, forming in. Because then what we're doing is we're starting to work our way towards this next category, this mm-hmm. next like high level athlete, whether it's um, high level um, high school, like AAU or division one, you know, my daughter's a division one um, lacrosse player or um, professional athletes. That's kind of the next category we'd be swinging into. And we're kind of segueing into that a little bit because the performance in that category matters more than the training in CrossFit. And you have to realize that the, and maybe we're in this category now. Yeah, we can just dive into uh, it. Yeah. Because like, yeah, so so we'll just kind of dig into it. Yeah. But you have to realize in this category that your performance is what matters. It's it's the game day that matters. It's um and you have to you cannot treat CrossFit the way that most people do, which is a little bit more on the competitive side. You're really measuring your gains and losses on a daily and weekly basis. We have to realize is that it is the sport in the field that matters before all else, and you're using CrossFit to supplement and improve that. And if you're coming out of your training session so smoked that you can't get into the practice field and be optimized on the practice field, your practice on the field is more important than the training, especially as you get closer and certainly in season. So now what we're doing is we're turning this away from this um, kind of constant ready state that the um, weekend warriors would live in, which is kind of like, I'm always, yeah, I'm, I can, let's do that 10 mile run. Let's I mean, let's do that long hike. Let's go heli skiing. Let's, um, I can help you move. Like, like yeah, you have to chop the wood. You're always ready to do something. These other athletes, now you have a periodized approach, which is, um, call it like four different quarters of the year, if you want to call it that. Um, and depending on the length of the season, that matters. But let's say um, there's one which is your competitive season, that you are in it, and the games are really, really matter a lot. In that case, you're only going to be training um, um, probably two, three, or four times a week. The volume is going to come down substantially. Um, potentially, the intensity is going to come down. And what you're really trying to do is to um, stay primed and ready. And it should be something that um, gives you a competitive advantage, not something that hinders your performance at all. Mm -hmm. And it's hard because CrossFit's addictive and people love it and particularly particularly competitive athletes. So they can get into this thing and see it like it almost becomes its own sport unto itself. And that can become detrimental. What you want to do is pick out some really potent things that are going to move the needle for you, but not cause excessive. Um, uh, I'm, it's, I'm, it's, the words that go through my mind is like fatigue, soreness, but the words really um, necessitate longer recovery periods. Got it. Um, in that training season, in that training season, and whether it's a quarter or whatever it is, you want to put your hardest training session the farthest away from your competitive event. So most athletes, let's say it's a, let's say it's a football player because it's easy. If you're a college football player, you're playing on Saturdays. Um, you use Sunday to recover. Monday or Tuesday would be that hard, the hardest training session. You might get in the gym the next day as well, and it might be fairly um, easy movement type stuff. Um, and then the next day might be a break or maybe one other um, throughout the week, and you're allowing yourself a couple days to recover and get peaked. You are almost like in this constant state of like, get a stimulus, recover, taper, perform. Mm-hmm. Get a stimulus, taper, recover, perform. Um, and that's what that in-season training would look like. Um, you you don't need to do the super volume stuff because you're not looking to get sore out of this stuff. So we don't want to be doing Murph. Um, you also don't need to be doing the super super high intense. Um, depends on the sport. Depends on the adaptability of the athlete. Um, but think something like trying to PR um, Fran might not be a, a, a trying to PR back squats and deadlifts. Um, that can be reserved for other times throughout the year. Um, backing up the season before that is um, kind of like the preseason. 
that's where you're kind of like trying to peak out your performance. You're trying to get as fit as you've ever been in preseason. Um, and that can have a, a very, fairly high training load. That could be um, for, again, kind of like the normal CrossFit methodology, four or five, six times a week. Um, and what we can do is couple different things. It depends on what the other part of your training repertoire looks like. If you have a lot of sports-specific practice and training that happens in the team environment, so let's say you're doing team um, agility drills. Let's say you're doing team wind sprints. Let's say you're doing team um, um, like running lots of routes. You're yep. doing uh, um, basically training that w- is going to be completely adaptable and completely transferable to the athletic field. What you don't want to do then is to have your strength conditioning also mimic that. So this is what a lot of players actually fall into the trap of if you're a hockey player. Um, They do so much um, lateral movement um, and stuff, you know, just pushing off, pushing off with their, um, because the skating. What you don't want to then do is have all of your strength conditioning be like slide board and side lunges. Those muscles are already getting so developed and overworked. You want to be doing the opposite of that more what CrossFit does a lot of, which is like that frontal plane stuff. Um, I'm sorry, the, the sagittal plane, like front and back. Um, Cause that's the muscles that then you get are probably more underdeveloped. It becomes a better um, hedge against injury and overuse injuries. And it actually will improve your performance even more. There's um, good stories about um, athletes that start training muscles and movements that have nothing to do with their sport and their sport performance goes up incredibly. Hmm. So years and years ago, the US ski team came to CrossFit and CrossFit started, did a little assessment. It was like, wow, you guys, as a whole, you guys really suck at pull-ups. And they're like, yeah, it has nothing to do with our sport. Like we're legs and power and, um, you know, um, like, um, pull-ups would do nothing. And they're like, well, let's just, let's just start working on pull-ups, you know, identify your weakness and kind of make it better. And lo and behold, when they started doing that, their performance got better. You know, um, kayaking is actually an Olympic sport. Kayakers, um, kind of the opposite. No, no mystery that they have really kind of underdeveloped lower bodies. Mm -hmm. And when they start training their lower bodies, what ends up happening is their pulls get stronger. Well, your body is one full unit. So when you think about that, let's take the kayaker. As you start to train your lower body and your lower body gets more um, formidable, more functional, what then allows you to do more with your, now you can press more, now you can jerk more. Now, so if you can now do those more, your upper body is better. Well, if you can do those better, now you can pull more because you're more balanced. Well, there we go. Like instead of just continuing to work on the pole and the pole and the pole of kayaking, you actually go to the opposite things, black box, it doesn't match. Like start to work on the things, the weakness and the strengths can actually get stronger. Now, the one caveat to that is you can't geek out so much about the weaknesses that actually become, it actually hurts your strengths. Hmm. People become division one athletes and they become world-class or professional athletes because of their strengths. So, um, Let's uh, let's let's take a um, like an offensive lineman in the NFL, and let's say um, this offensive lineman is um, has the best hands in the world. So it's really important for offensive linemen to have really quick hands. It's almost like a boxer. You got to be able to keep the guy off of you, put him out in arm's length, and constantly keep him out there. And that's why some offensive linemen do like boxing and stuff like that, or. Mm-hmm. Uh, jiu-jitsu or judo or something. Um, it's really important to have these really, really fast hands. And you do an assessment of the athlete, you find out, well, like, um, wow, your lower body power really sucks. So you work with that athlete the whole off season, ignore their strengths, their hands, and just work on their lower body endurance and their lower body um, strength and power. Deads, cleans, um, you know, um, thrusters, broad jumps, um, explosive plyo jumps, plyometrics, really kind of, and what you'll find is that if you train it, it will get better. And they go from this really below average to average. But also if you completely ignore the strength, the thing that got them to be a pro, that falls. Mm-hmm. And now they went from world-class to 
average. And now what you have is somebody that's average across the board and they've lost their starting position, potentially out of the league. It, you have to geek out. You have to find people's strengths in those things and make sure that they stay there because that's what makes them special. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Jerry Rice was his conditioning. He wasn't the fastest guy. So if you go, Jerry, you're like, let's step off from the conditioning. You're the best conditioning guy in the world. Let's not geek out about your conditioning. Let's just get you faster, 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 faster. Let's focus on your 40-yard dash. So do that for two years. He has a slightly – maybe you get him to a slightly above 40-yard dash – but his conditioning suffers. Mm-hmm. And now he's not Jerry Rice anymore. You know, the thing with Jerry was like he could outlast anybody. Just keep you could run 40s all day long and the DBs couldn't keep up with him. So um, when we get into this more sports specific, um, particularly for the team sports at the collegiate and professional level, it becomes more of a periodized approach of the year comes into play, um, making sure that you're not over or under working the sports specific muscles. Um, and then also making sure that you are maintaining strengths, particularly leading up to um, the actual competitive events. Um, in season, uh, you know, I think you, you talked about maybe doing three, maybe four workouts um, a week while, you know, while that competitive season is going on. Are those workouts, are they, are we just talking about classic kind of CrossFit trip, uh, you know, um, couplets and triplets, or is there that blend of like, maybe there's a strength day in there. Uh, maybe there's a, there's a long workout. And sh- like, what, like, what does that actually, what does that CrossFitting actually look like, uh, in season? Yeah. So it's, it's going to depend on the sport. It's going to depend on the athlete. It's going to depend on the team and what else they're doing for conditioning. But let me start a blanket thing that would like just paint a picture a little bit. Um, the first day of the week would be the hardest day. And what we would do there is probably some sort of like strength bias programming where you do some sort of um, Olympic lift, call it um, power cleans. You do some sort of um, strength lift, let's call it back squats. And then you do some sort of conditioning. And I would do this one in a moderate time domain um, for time. Um, four time workouts seem to be the hardest. Hmm. Um, so this one might be something like, um, um, black and blue, which is five rounds for time of 10 power cleans, 10, 10 bar, 10 burpees, something like that. Um, it's hard. It's, it's, it's very hard. Um, the next day, what I would do is, um, sort of like a little back offish E type thing, but maybe use the different, um, movements. So maybe now we're doing like some, um, light snatches, uh, maybe we do some light um, 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 upper body um, pulling type things, like some 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 pull-ups or some a strength thing, and then we might do like an EMOM conditioning, which might be something like um, EMOM twelve of um, fifteen calorie self bike on one minute and um, um, fifteen. Um, 65 pound thrusters on the other minute. Maybe it's 12 for a certain athlete. Maybe it's 18 for another athlete, but kind of painting a picture. Mm -hmm. Um, and then the third day, which would be maybe like if they compete on a, um, Saturday would probably be either like very light on Friday, kind of like a walkthrough ish type thing. Just keep moving, keep feel fresh and strong. Or let's say it's on a Thursday and that day would be even lighter and easier than that. Some, Strength things as well. Maybe we're doing, um, again, maybe now it's some hang power cleans or some uh, like weighted plyometrics, um, very low volume, and then a kind of little breather. Uh, maybe we're doing some um, uh, eight minutes of rowing and pushups. Mm-hmm. You know, on one minute you're doing 15 calorie row, on the next minute you're doing 15 pushups, just to paint a picture, or maybe you're doing 10 burpees, something like that. Um, uh, just kind of get blood flow and get moving and, um, all that. How, you know, it, I mean, probably impossible to, to, re- to have a very specific answer to this, but how prevalent do you, is your sense of what we're talking about here as it, you know, as it relates to competitive athletes, again, whether that's AAU high school, uh, college professional, certainly, um, how prevalent is this, what we're talking about here, um, in that, in those worlds, do you feel like it's still really rare that this is the strength and conditioning program? Again, whatever we're talking about here for these kinds of athletes or, um, have more programs adopted this as, as the, the new strength and conditioning. 
Yeah, I don't want to discount traditional strength conditioning because um, it it works. Hmm. Um, getting athletes stronger and more fit, capable, and formidable, it's gonna it's gonna work. And what I actually didn't talk about is like really early in the season, it would look a lot like it would look a lot like a regular um, strength conditioning program for me. You know, with with the little CrossFit conditioning things at the end. Got it. So it would be very much like. Um, one to two Olympic movements, one to two strength accessory movements, and then a little conditioning piece at the end. The thing I'm not going to do with these athletes is geek out trying to teach them a muscle up. Mm-hmm. Like, it's, like geek out about trying to get them to walk on their hands. Yep. Like the time spent on um, trying to learn those skills should be really transferable to their sport. It's called third wave adaptations. So first wave adaptations is a um, – just painting a picture. It's, just, it's just so easy to kind of yeah. follow along with this. 14-year-old kid, 135 pounds, sophomore in high school. Six foot one, 135 pounds, string bean, right? Comes into the gym, and on day one, you're going to teach him how to bench press. He's never been underneath the bench before. On day one, he takes that empty 45-pound bar. You have him do a set of 10, and it's like wobbly and moving all around. And it's like almost like he's doing it like on a um, like on a moon bounce or something like that. So like, oh. Okay, so you have him do three sets of 10. You have him come in two days later and do the same thing. Three sets of 10 with that 45 pound bar. And all of a sudden right now, it's kind of like going straight up and straight down. Mm -hmm. The third time that we have him come in and he can actually do it with 65 pounds. That's first wave adaptations. He's not necessarily really getting stronger. What's happening is his neurons and um, his coordination is firing and he's learning the movement. And his productive application of force goes up because of that. It's not like the cross filament fibers are actually getting stronger. Like the, the way we know strength, it's not happening. What's happening is it's first wave adaptations, and it's why beginner athletes can make gains from training session to training session to training session. When they first start doing CrossFit, people are like, this is awesome. Every time you lift, you get stronger because you're still in those first wave adaptations. Second wave adaptations is um, – kind of that next phase where he comes in and he gets up to about like, you know, where now he can do like five sets of five with 135 pounds. And everyone knows kind of that next little place. The gains happen slower, but they're still happening. And he actually, over the course of the next two years, by the time he's graduating high school, he gets up to um, where he can do um, five sets of five with um, 245, 255. Mm -hmm. That whole, that middle string is second wave adaptations. Those second wave adaptations are transferable to other sports, to other life activities. That's what CrossFit's all about. That's what we should be pursuing. Now, what happens is some people get into, let's say this kid is like loves weightlifting, actually more than he loves football or something like that. You know, when he gets up to that five times five at 255, he's a better football player for sure. But let's say he gets up to where he wants to now geek out about bench pressing. And now he's um, training with bench shirts. He's doing bo- like triple, double, and single board presses. He's doing the accessory work to work on the lockout. He's figuring out how to um, externally rotate the bar on the way and spread the bar on the way up. He's figuring out how to dig his feet into the ground. And he gets up from a, let's say his one rep max when he was um, a senior in high school doing the five was like 315. Mm-hmm. And he goes from 315 to in 385 dead. Bench press. That may or may not make him a better football player, believe it or not. Because it's so specific to what he's, to the bench press. Yep. That's third wave adaptations. For our high school and uh, for our, our, our performing athletes in other sports, we don't want to spend the time on those third wave adaptations. It's, it's not going to be transferable. It's like rowing and really geeking out with the rowing technique. Like if, if a guy has moderate technique, if you're training, let's say, um, Olympic lifters or football players or wrestlers, and they have good enough technique on the row that like um, no one in the class is going like, whoa, look at that ugly <laughs> stuff. Your coaches – could probably find two or three things to kind of tweak. That's about where you need to stop with the technique stuff with those guys. Because you getting that that other athlete from a, a 648 2K 
to a 6.35 2K, those 13 seconds, is basically going to be all third wave adaptations. They're better served somewhere else. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like um, um, blank out his name, uh, Jalen um, Hurts. Jalen Hurts for um, Alabama football. He transferred, um, but when he came to Alabama, he had he's super strong. He's a quarterback, and he had a. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm making up these numbers, but they're I'm gonna, I'm gonna be somewhere close. He had something like a 500 pound bench press. He had a um, seven or 800 pound deadlift and like a seven or 800 pound back squat. Um, the strength coach said, I never want to see you in the weight room again. Like you spending time in the weight room for what you're doing, you're wasting your time. Go spend it on something else. Now, even if he, we talked about those like strengths and weaknesses, even if he slides all the <laughs> way back to where bench pressing 440 pounds, you know, he loses 20% on that number. Let's say he loses 20% across the board. He still is um, exceeding the capacities of what the sport needs relative to the other strengths and weaknesses which he has. So there's a lot that comes into play in terms of um, I, uh, what you do to, to to work with those athletes and how much time you're spending doing certain stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, back, just back to the the question, the original question that kind of spawned that, which was spot on to hit. But do you get the sense that this kind of training, again, even if it's a blended strength and conditioning kind of into a CrossFit like program, yeah. do you get the sense that that's happening a lot these oh, days? Right. Is, yeah. it, is it um, is it is is it yeah. like coming but not here yet? Like, just what's your sense of that? Yeah. Okay. So um, I think it's here, um, but. Most strength conditioning coaches in the collegiate professional level are not calling it CrossFit. Yep. Because um, it, but I mean, there's no, no one's denying that um, combining these movements creates a super high level of, of fitness and functionality and physical dominance, honestly. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think what's happening is, and I think the majority of programs are sticking to what they've been doing for a long time. And interweaving this stuff in um, where um, where possible, so it's taking over some of the, the conditioning pieces that used to be in place. Because um, frankly, like when, when I was doing personal training before I found CrossFit, I was doing this type of stuff with athletes, just not as elegantly. Yep. Right. It wasn't as good. So I would do things like uh, um, this is back in like the early 2000s when I didn't, before I found CrossFit, I knew the power of like getting athletes to work hard. So what I would do is I would work at a Globo gym and I would have like a little leaderboard on my clipboard and say like, uh, Mary H and it would have like, um, and then under Mary would be like Paul F and then it would be like Jim S and then all my clients, you know, I had like 35 clients and there'd be like, um, 10 minute, um, stair stair test mm-hmm. and we go on like the in the global gym that's the rolling stairs that would come down that machine yep. and i'd see who could climb the most flights of stairs in 10 minutes and i would rank them and kind of go, go through this and it's like here's your score here's what um and then all of a sudden like then i would do like um we go in behind the building and we'd run up and down this hill back there and do push-ups in between and i timed them um so i was doing it but it's not as good as what CrossFit the way CrossFit does it. So I think that what a lot of the strength conditioning coaches are doing now is probably sticking to a lot of stuff that has gotten them, got them hired. Honestly, I can get people strong. I can get people fast. I can get people quicker. I can get people, um, to be less injured. Um, so they're sticking with their strengths, which they should. And we're incorporating this stuff at the fringes. Got it. Okay. Let's move into this third category. Um, this endurance athlete. And again, maybe the first thing to do is define what those, what those pursuits are that you would consider that individual an endurance athlete. Um, is it as, as, um, little as a 5k or, or like, where is the starting place for somebody who you would consider, okay, you're an endurance athlete and therefore I'm going to, I'm going to treat you a little bit different or we're going to work together a little bit differently. Yeah. I, I would put a 5k as an endurance, but I would go all the way up into, you know, like, uh, um, 10 Ks and half marathons and, um, um, sprint triath. Uh, yeah. I would even put like sprint triathlons. Mm-hmm. Um, cause that's an hour long events, you know, obviously all the way up into, 
um, Iron Man, um, Ultras, um, you know, and then you get to the extremes of like multi-day events, you know, eco challenges, yep. um, alp- alpining, um, climbing, and things like that, um, trekking. Um, so that's what I would classify as as endurance athletes. It's basically like um, they're mostly monostructural events, meaning that they are um, what most people classify as cardio, mm-hmm. meaning swim, bike, run, walk, um, jog, um, or row, uh, whatever it might be, that lasts over an hour. So that's what I would classify as an endurance event. Got it. Okay. So how do you, how would you take everything that we've been talking about as it relates to um, uh, GPP, CrossFit, where, where does the endurance efforts come in? How do you, how do you balance the needs of the endurance athlete with the needs of the, again, the lifestyle type athlete? Yep. So actually what I would do is I would kind of, um, hybrid between the two that we've already discovered, discussed, which is like lifestyle. And then this, um, um, high level team type athlete. And the question that it then becomes, which you have to answer to kind of get into the weeds of this thing is, um, how important is this pursuit to you? That's actually the first question. So I, a member walks up to me and says, I'm training for um, a half Ironman. Can you help me um, with what should I do in terms of my CrossFit stuff to help me prepare for this half Ironman? I have a training program that I'm following for the swim, bike, run, but I'd like you to help me with how much and what I should be doing for the um, for the, the, the um, strength conditioning, the CrossFit side of this. Mm-hmm. My first question to them almost always is um, – how important is it that how important is it to you how well you perform in this event? And it'll be something along the lines of call, call it three different buckets, right? One is like, I just want to have fun. I'm gonna to compete to complete. Like I'm doing it with my buddies, we're gonna stay next to each other. We just want to finish this thing. I'm running my first marathon. I don't really care where I finish. You know, I'd rather not have it take six hours, but you know, being sub four hours is not that important to me. Then there's the second bucket, which is like, um, I'd really like to do well. But like this isn't like gonna make or break my year, um, you know. But like my performance matters, and these are people that like, you know, I really like to break the four-hour mark. I really love to do a three-thirty marathon. I love to do an Ironman in under um, twelve hours, you know, that type of stuff. I'd love to be um, in the top ten, um, um, top ten percent in uh, my age category, something like that. And then the third one is like this matters, like. Yeah. Um, matters a lot. Like I'm going to do whatever I can to, to break, um, a three thirty marathon. I want to, um, be in the top 10 in my age group. I want to, um, PR like those type of things. Um, and how you line up the, the CrossFit programming to support that. That's going to, that's going to be so directive. Yep. Um, because if it's the first one compete to complete, I want to have fun. It's, it's not going to, um, you're not going to change CrossFit that much. What you're going to do is you're going to tone down the intensity a little bit and tone down the volume a little bit and tone down the frequency, main number of days a little bit. So you're going to blend in kind of equally those two pursuits. Other thing that matters a lot is what their history is in this um, pursuit. Is this your first time ever trying to run a marathon? Mm -hmm. Okay, it is. Have you ever run a half marathon? No, you haven't. Okay, what's the lo- longest run you've ever done, and what's the most weekly um, sustainable, meaning like over a couple of weeks, weekly volume you've ever done for running? Um, okay, you've never you've run a 5K, and the most weekly volume you've ever done is 10 miles. You want to run a marathon? I need you to ramp. I, we got to put some effort into this running program. That's going to take priority. Um, but I've worked with other people that are like, well, this is going to be my th- my 30th marathon. <laughs> Um, I've, I've run consistently 40 mile weeks and, um, you know, the longest run I've done recently is I did 15 miles last Saturday. Like, okay, very, very different. You just want to compete, compete to complete. You could probably go and do that now. Let's use a little more CrossFit to get you a little bit stronger overall, a little more healthy, um, prevent injuries a little bit, some wear and tear and so on. Um, that next kind of bucket, um, in terms of like the, it matters, but I'm not going to make or break my year, um, is going to kind of fall somewhere in between. Um, same questions though, about like, have you done this before? Um, what's your volume now? 
And um, for these type of people, the running program um, is going to be because they need to, they want the performance and the actual event matters. Um, you want to make sure that none of the CrossFit stuff that they're doing is taking away from their running. Now, you might put in, I'm, I'm assuming like if you're one of their coaches, you might put in more, and you should probably put in more um, cross training, CrossFit training than their program has. Hmm. Because of that, you might take out or, or reduce the volume, uh, take out a full training session a week. You might reduce the volume across the week or um, – you might um, take one workout every two weeks or something like that to, to a lot for a little more volume. I think those athletes should probably be doing, so if the first bucket is I just want to compete to complete, they're probably doing CrossFit. And let's assume that they, they've already built up some volume in their um, sports specific um, capacity. They're probably doing CrossFit um, four times a week. Mm-hmm. This middle bucket is probably doing CrossFit um, three to four times a week. And then the people that want to, um, this matters, it's everything that they have are probably doing it two or three times a week. Um, as we get closer to the season, um, because they're putting in so much, like if you look at it, like an elite, um, 5k runner, they're running like 60 miles a week. Um, that's for a 5k runner. So that's not even like an Ironman. So a five, a five K athlete will do about 60 miles a week to get these people that are running 15 minute five Ks. will do about 60 miles a week. Break that down across, you know, six days a week, they're running 10 miles a day. Um, it, you don't want to like just overload them because their bread and butter is they are, they, they, their sport matters that much. So now in the off season, we can do a lot more strength conditioning. What we want to be super cautious of though for these ultra endurance athletes is, um, putting on, honestly, is like putting on too much muscle. Mm-hmm. Um, CrossFit adds muscle. It does. It's a, it's phenomenal. Um, that the neuroendocrine response that you get, meaning like your CNS, your nervous system built with the muscular system creates this incredibly like, um, powerful hormonal response that like makes muscles grow and burn fat. That's why people look good at the CrossFit. Um, what we can do though is you can end up um, if you do this thing three, four, five times a week, and you're strength biasing it. Uh, sorry, three, four, five. If you do it four, five, six times a week in the off season, um, you could put on five, six, ten pounds on an athlete. Usually, endurance athletes are hard gainers and it'll be tough to do it. But you just have to be cautious of that because uh, let's take someone like David Goggins. Mm-hmm. You have to start doing um, like legit CrossFit the way our games athletes do it. Um, he would pack on a ton of muscle and have a harder time um, going through his ultra endurance events. Um, you just have to be aware of that. Last question. Um, as we start to wrap up with this conversation, it might be a strange one, but um, from an athlete perspective, uh, and maybe maybe not the lifestyle athlete, but the other two that we've talked about, the, com- the competitive, the performative one, and the endurance athlete, is a CrossFit gym the right place for them? In other words, are they going to be able to get the kind of, I don't know if it's specificity or, or whatever that yeah. whatever that word is, um, to be able to do these things? Or it, are we talking about like, okay, you've got to find a coach who's been, who is willing to work with you and understand, ask those questions that you asked. Um, and, and if not, if, if a CrossFit gym maybe isn't the ideal place, do you think that that is, uh, you know, looking forward into the future of, of CrossFit and CrossFit affiliates? Is that a, is that something that more gyms should kind of pursue the ability to be able to do better? Uh, again, assuming that um, they can't currently, because most gyms most of the time are focused on uh, GPP. Yeah, I, I, I think a CrossFit gym is absolutely um, a good place to do this, um, but it's going to come down to the. Um, the relationship somebody has with the coach mm. and their ego. Um, so are you okay not doing exactly what the class is doing? Just take the class workout and morph it. Um, the second part, so that's the kind of the first part is um, the relationship with the coach and your ego. The third one is um, personality. So what happens, so in psychological, uh, sociologically, um, is a lot of these ultra endurance athletes, um, are, are loners. 
Um, they like to be by themselves. I mean, I was, I was one for a long time, um, by yourself for four or five, six hours, getting your own headspace and, um, getting into a social environment while you're training could be an incredible boon, um, because it it could, it could help you so much break the monotony, but it also is not the right thing for everybody. Um, the other thing I'll say is, especially for these endurance athletes is what the tendency is, is for their endurance athletes. So they want to jump into Murph. They want to jump into the 45 minute workouts. That's the opposite of what we want these athletes to be doing. They're getting so much of that in the, in what they're actually already doing. We want these athletes to do things a little bit, um, um, shorter time domain and work the opposite type of things. Um, cause it doesn't make sense. If you have a, uh, a 10 K run today over, let's call it like, uh, six, one mile repeats with uh, a three minute rest in between. That's a, that's a normal training thing for, um, an uh, endurance athlete. You don't also want to be doing Murph that day. It just, it's yep. going to take away from it. What you should be doing is pretend maybe something like, uh, um, four or five rounds of, um, 20 calorie row and, um, 20 push jerks at a light to moderate weight. Mm-hmm. That would help the athlete out a lot. Um, cause what we're trying to do is get the opposite stuff and kind of restore some, some muscular imbalances. These endurance athletes have so many muscular imbalances, you know, triathletes. And I was one of them, um, you know, the, the, the kyphosis, the rounding of the shoulders, um, from being in the arrow position for so long, um, the gnarliness of the hip flexors and the knees from the pounding of the road. Um, what we want to do is kind of like get these athletes to, um, get away from that stuff and get away from the long, slow distance stuff and get into some, uh, you know, more some, um, higher power strength stuff. Awesome. I think it's a good place to wrap up. Thank you, Ben. Thank you to everybody who listens. We will be back next week with another episode of chasing excellence. You can get every episode of chasing excellence, wherever you listen to your podcasts or on YouTube until next time. Thank you for listening.